Greetings, you mysterious souls. Rebecca here. And I'm Rue, at your service. Welcome to the cryptic corridors of Salem to Scotland, from magic to murder, where we delve into the horrible history of our country, where over 4,000 people were executed and murdered under the auspice of being a witch, and many of them killed without proof. See, when you say that, all I can think of is horrible history. (laughs) People were tied up and thrown in rivers. If they floated, they were a witch. If they died, they were not, which is some... BS, in my opinion. That logic kind of doesn't seem to add up to me. I don't know how the legal system got off on that, you know? I don't know, but it's what happens when you leave a bunch of crazies in charge like King James in his parliament. But anyway, not my business. So today, we bring you into the wonderful world of Alexander Hamilton. But we're not talking about the Broadway Alexander Hamilton. Oh no, 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 no. We're on about a Scottish vagabond with a penchant for the mysticism. Vagabond is a term that's kind of like a waster in society, doesn't maybe necessarily have a functioning role. Street rat. Um, He was from pretty much, yeah, street rat. <laughs> he was just a stone throw away from the enchanting Edinburgh. So grab your cauldrons and buckle up, because this tale is a roller coaster of dark deeds, beguiling magic and a touch of twisted humour. We are guides through the shadows, your partners in crime, and your companions in curiosity. And picture this, a charming town with a dark secret, a coal miner turned mystical wanderer, and accusations that will make your head spin faster than a psychic attack. And no, we're not throwing away our shot at uncovering the (laughs) mysteries that lie beneath the surface. But before we plunge into the abyss, dear listeners, let's set the stage for an odyssey that will keep you on the edge of your seat. You're in for a ride that combines history, magic and a dash of wickedness. The perfect brew for all the modern witches in us. So, get comfy and if you're one of our subscribers to the Enchanted Spell Kit, then light your candles and join us as we unravel the tales of Alexander Hamilton. A man, I know, Alexander (laughs) Hamilton, we're probably going to get copyrighted if we do that. Yeah, for sure. A man caught in the crossfire of a domestic dispute, a bit of a power play and a touch of devilish mischief. This isn't your average history lesson. It's a dark journey that will make you question reality and embrace the shadows. Salem to Scotland from magic to murder because the best stories are the ones that send shivers down your spine. Get ready, witches, and picture this. I'm immersed in the pages of David Mackenzie Robertson's In This House, Angels 4. It's a book that's a treasure trove of secrets. And in there, nestled between the accusations of malefice, I stumble upon the tale of our protagonist, Alexander Hamilton. Now, what's intriguing is the connection to Hamilton, not, not, <laughs> not the one where we're no, belting the tunes no, out. No, yeah. no, but the vagabond of Prestipins. 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 Preston Pans. Preston Pans. I can't speak English. Sorry. Preston Pans. Oh my sorry. god! I if think you're from there, Pans would have come for you for that. I one. think I got a pan in my Wendy's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is just a haunt eight miles from Edinburgh. Would you believe it? Spooky, spooky business that is. As the musical aficionados that we are, the mere whisper of Hamilton had us intrigued. But there's more motivation to this than just a catchy tune. Are you sure? I do love a good catchy tune. But we're delving into the shadows of history, shining a light on the less explored tale of male witch accusations. It's a narrative less sung, less heard, and we're here to change that. We're channeling equality for all those accused of witchcraft. Join us as we dive into the exploration of male witches, where motivations differ, accusations cut deep, and the stories are just as bewitching as the magic we're about to unravel. In the dark annals of history, the motivations for accusing men of witchcraft were as diverse as the spells in a grimoire. Mm, I do love a good old grimoire. They're usually textbooks of magic, including instructions on how to create magical objects like talismans, amulets, but also how to perform magic spells, charms, divination, or even summon or invoke a supernatural entity like an angel, spirit, deity, or a good old demon. Love an incubus. 
or not for summoning, but just like they're 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 cool they're cool dudes. I'm thinking the songs. This can all be a transformational or really downscaling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go in willy nilly, um, but if you don't know the half of it, in our history with women, societal stigma casts shadows over their fate. But for men like Alexander Hamilton, the tale usually took a different turn that included twisted dance in the shadows of power dynamics and domestic disputes. Brace yourselves for the asshole of the day segment. Oh, I do love this segment. I know, it's my favourite. This stars none (laughs) other than the Earl George Holm of Manderston. Now, Georgie Boy here is a character with more opinions than we have favourite witchy spells. Opinions on Georgie Boy clash like spells colliding, but there's no doubt about the despicable actions that he had endured. When I was first reading this, I genuinely thought we'd put Boy George and I was like, have I missed something? Like, did Boy George do something to get cancelled <laughs> and I just missed it? But no, it was no. just me being a silly goose. <clears throat> he just puts out some good shit. Yeah, but I wonder how many lives the Earl did actually ruined. It's unthinkable. It's just unthinkable. You've got nothing more to say <laughs> than it. It's just unthinkable. Come on, use the imagination, Disgusting. woman. Disgusting. <laughs> what was one <laughs> The Earl had his hands in many dark dealings. The worst of all, he was constantly testifying against supposed witches in East Lothian. Some say he danced to King James's tune, while others swear it was a ploy to tarnish his ex-wife's name. Typical. Yeah. Typical, coming for the ex-wife. So he can keep his money? Mm-hmm. Whether Papa or puppeteer, George Holm is a key player in our tale of accusations, adds layers of intrigue and unfolds the witches' dances. And this is an exploration of motivations where societal norms clashed with power plays and George Holm took centre stage in a drama complete with betrayal, power and the ever-present whispers of maleficent accusations. This guy, the Earl of Dunbar, was also rumoured to have a cameo in the investigation of Guy Fox. No way! I know. You heard that right? Our asshole of the day also played the... <laughs> Our asshole of the day played what? He played a uh, <laughs> linebacker, sorry. Uh, <laughs> So he played a big role in the investigations of Guy Fox mm-hmm. back in the day. Interesting, very interesting. <laughs> so let's talk about the marital misadventures. <laughs> George tied the knot back in 1605 with Helen Arnott, a year more famous for his questionable marriage. <laughs> very true. Helen then got accused of witchcraft. Do you think it was a plot to embarrass her or did they have something else on his mind? Maybe mm, a bit of spice. Yeah, maybe he just wanted to spice up his relationship. You know, spice up your life, but relationships in the 1600s. Maybe. <clears throat> now, why is he the asshole of the day, I hear you ask? Well, he's like the Shakespearean villain, conflicting opinions galore. Did he spill witchy beans under the pressure from King James or did he intentionally drag his ex-wife through the mud? Hold on to your broomsticks because we are just about to spill the tea on Guy Fox. Guy conspired to murder King James I of England, the same king we've discussed in our, in, our, in our king, in our North Berwick episode. And coincidentally, a pal of George, Guy was found beneath the House of Lords, guarding the barrels of gunpowder. Spoiler alert, it didn't end well for him. But now they celebrate it as Guy Fawkes Day in the UK. Why'd you have to spoil it, man? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think everyone knows that part of history. Oh, for sure. But George wasn't just sipping tea during this historical case. He was knee-deep in it. Shortly after their nuptials, he divorced Helen Arnott and accused her of witchcraft. Why? Maybe someone wanted to make George's life more exciting while mm. lining his own pockets. You've got to remember, with the amount of women he probably accused of witchcraft, he definitely made some sort of profit he from it. He make some coin. But maybe he just wanted to spice up his own relationship with a touch of the supernatural as well. C'est possible. Hmm, oui, oui, mon ami. Oui, 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 oui. 
Guy Fawkes and his lackeys conspired to murder King James I of England, the very king we mentioned in our North Berwick episode. He was also George's pal. He conspired to murder the king and put a stop to the opening of the House of Lords. This was all to reinstate a Catholic monarch to the throne and to stop the discrimination against Catholics in England. He was found beneath the House of Lords, guarding barrels of gunpowder. He was then taken to the Tower of London, tortured and confessed to the gunpowder plot, implicating its other accomplices. I see, I see. Well, it was a plan to turn the then English king into the world's first royal firework. Ah, pew, pew, pew. Must Could you imagine like seeing him, yeah. that in this guy? <laughs> <laughs> but I heard he implicated all his other co-conspirators as well. This sounds like how our witches were tortured and it treated. sounds exactly like the um, witch trials of Scotland and England. Yeah, so I can't say I blame him for putting people in it. So mm-hmm. The result? A brutal execution. He was then hung, drawn and quartered. Sounds yeah. pretty, it's pretty grim, isn't it? It's very hung. William Wallace of them. Yeah, you know? ve- very William Wallace. Condemned traitors of the time found themselves securely bound to a wooden panel and were swiftly pulled by a horse to the designated execution site. Once there, a series of gruesome acts unfolded. Hanging nearly to the brink of death, followed by emasculation, having your organs removed, while you were still alive, by the way, beheading, and then followed by the ultimate horror of being quartered. As a final macabre touch, the remnants of his body would often be exhibited prominently in various locations throughout the country, probably adjoining landmarks. This grisly spectacle served as a stark warning to potential traitors about the dire consequences awaiting them. For reasons of purported public decency, female individuals convicted of high treason were spared this particular fate and instead met their end through the equally horrifying method of being burned at the stake. It was the perfect place to fight battles with Greenland's surrounding, but also being so close to the coast made it perfect place for trade or it left you very vulnerable indeed. Definitely. George the Arrow, with a flair for drama, had connections to the investigation of Guy Fawkes. It's like a historical soap opera and we're here to unravel the mysteries one explosive detail at a time. That is correct, Rebecca. One detail at a time, one piece of history at a time. So the story of Guy Fawkes may not have ended in flames, but our podcast is just getting warmed up. So pack your bags as we journey into the captivating world of 1605 Preston Bins. Imagine a Scottish town steeped in history, its cobblestone streets echoing the clip-clop of horse hooves. Have you ever marvelled at the origins of towns, a blend of history and legend intertwining? Let me spin you a tale about Preston Pans. Said to be founded by the resilient Altamer, a shipwrecked traveller in the 11th century. Picture turning a beach misfortune into a settlement named Altamer to honour their leader. Now that's making the best of a bad situation for it sure. It really is, you know, very positive outlook to the, to the shipwreck. And the plot thickened. In the 12th century, enter the monks of New Battle in Holyrood, venturing into salt manufacturing with pans on the seashore. By 1198, the settlement transformed into Preston Pans. Monks and salt, what an unexpected combo. Now let's leap ahead a bit. In 1596, they built one of the first post-Reformation churches, and John Davidson, the minister, had a real DIY moment. Let's tie it back to our fascinating history of our victim, Alexander Hamilton. Salt Pannon took the spotlight in Preston Pins' early days, boasting 10 salt works and producing a tonne of salt weekly. That's a lot of seasoning. I like a salty pie, but jinx. 
But pressing pans wasn't just about salt. Enter coal mining in the 13th century. Thanks to the OG coal miners and the new battle monks. And here's where Alexander Hamilton steps into the story. Not just a vagabond, but a coal miner turned wanderer exploring the extraordinary. I know, how sweet. He was a man of humble beginnings who delved into the depths of Northumberland's mines, later donning the armed forces uniform. His life is a blend of misschooled claims and a drifter's existence. I identify with that drifter's existence, I really do. Yeah. But imagine, a man on the streets pleading for coins, boasting mystical powers and the ability to heal. Yet, beneath this mysterious facade lies a man of lower social status, embracing the life of a drifter. Today we peel back the layers of Alexander's life, from coal miner to wanderer, unravelling the character whose story resonates through the winds of time. Join us as we unveil the enigma that is Alexander Hamilton, a man whose footsteps echo the very heart of Preston Pins. Do you not think it's mad as well that like Preston Pans is still very much a thriving town and that you can walk down the street and imagine the time of Alexander Hamilton? I think that's insane. Yeah. I love how close it is to us because it's this country and it's Scotland. Yeah, you can get everywhere with your hops. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. But as we journey through the realms of Alexander Hamilton's life, let's illuminate the shadows of Preston Pans and the life he led as a coal miner. Coal, often referred to as black gold, became the heartbeat of the Industrial Revolution especially the 18th and 19th centuries. In 1575, the first coal mine was sunk in Scotland under the Firth of Forth, marking the inception of a vital industry. Without coal, the wheels of manufacturing factories, mills and even residential homes would have come to a chilling halt during the Industrial Revolution. The coal mining landscape shaped the very fabric of towns and industries, giving the rise to mining villages in Lancashire, Yorkshire, South Wales, Northumberland and Durham. Durham, 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 Durham. Sorry, Entire populations depended on the employment from mines. And it wasn't just about the extraction. Coal powered the colossal steam engines that drove manufacturing mills. And it played a crucial role in iron production, where two tonnes of coal was needed to make just one tonne of iron. I would hate mining that in a game. Oh, I know. Could you imagine how dirty your hands would be? Very dirty. Wash your hands, you dirty pig. (laughs) (laughs) So the coal mining maps sprawled across the British Isles, with vast reserves found in the Midlands, the North and Northeast, and of course right in here in Scotland. Towns and industries burgeoned around these coal-rich regions. Yet, behind this industrial facade, the reality of coal mining was harsh. Men, women and children toiled in the mines, working long hours for minimum wages. In the early 19th century, the mines echoed with the sounds of children as young as eight working in complete darkness for 12 hours or more a day. They served as trappers, opening and closing trap doors for air ventilation, often with only a single candlelight. Can you imagine that? Like being just an eight-year-old cutting around a mine mine in pitch black. Like, you must have been so stunted in some developmental ways from that as well. Like your eyes struggle madness with that one. But the horrors of these working conditions came to light in 1842 with the Children's Employment Commission leading to the Mine Act of the same year. Here, here. Here, here. Here, here. This was a significant step in safeguarding the lives of those who descended into the depths to extract black gold that fueled the industrial engine. From the depths of the coal mines, we now ascend into the chilling atmosphere of Alexander Hamilton's trial in Edinburgh, a journey into the unknown, if you will. Picture the scene, January 22nd, 1630, Edinburgh. The air thick with anticipation as Alexander faced the tribunal. 
His bizarre confessions would horrify those in the courtroom. Now this is truly the stuff of nightmares. Brace yourselves for the unearthly encounters that Alexander describes. In 1624, atop of Hugston Hills, between 11 and 12 in the afternoon, he claimed to have met the devil for the very first time. Subsequent meetings on Gairntown Hills revealed a pact allowing Alexander to summon the devil at will. Just like that. Could you imagine just phoning up your homie the devil? No. Not for me, thanks. No. After that, a few days had passed and they met again on Gairntown Hills. Some form of agreement was met between the Prince of Darkness and Alexander, where the vagabond mortal could summon Satan himself by striking the staff three times on the ground. Well saying, rise up, fell thief. After this simple ritual, an animal would materialise, and its form would change. This would have been a crow or a dog or a cat. There is a version of this story where it mentions it being a corby, a raven, rather than a crow. The animal would then answer any questions. This was believed to be through some physical movement of animals rather than some sort of Dr. Doolittle type knowledge. (laughs) Now, one of his clients was a man named Thomas Holm in Clarkington. He had been cursed by a beggar woman. She did this by placing a magical thread at his door. He fell ill shortly afterwards and Hamilton cured Thomas. But to cure Thomas, he went to Clarkton Burn with a cat and summoned the devil. He appeared as a crow and instructed Hamilton to create a concoction of the fat from hearts and the fat of an animal. It's not known whose heart he used for this ritual. This concoction then had to be put on Thomas with a woolen cloth after he cast this cat that he'd brought to the devil. Thomas made a full recovery. Interesting, very interesting he made a full recovery. But Alexander also took to begging on the streets himself for money, much like the woman who had cursed Thomas. He was chased away by a lady called Elizabeth Lawson. Instead of cursing the woman, he just murdered her and her mother. Why not? Lovely, you know, lovely. What else do you do when someone causes you a mere inconvenience in your life? He did this by summoning the devil along with two lady friends. <laughs> he was instructed by the devil to lay a ball of blue thread at the gate of Lady Ormiston's house, killing her and her daughter who had originally turned Alexander away from her door. Another one of his fun rituals involved stealing three ears of corn from James Cockburn's barnyard. He then took these to Garmton Hills, burned them and this supposedly caused a corn kiln in his farm to combust in a dramatic manner, ruining all the grain inside, devastating his harvest. He had a vendetta against this man who happened to be the provost of Haddington. Oh, that's not very good. He sounds like an important guy. (laughs) In relation to George Holm, he was alleged to have a baby foe in his barn killing his horses. He supposedly knew of a plot created by Helen Arnott to cause injury to her then-husband, George Holm of Manderston, the Earl of Dunbar, through acts of witchcraft. Funny that. They always chuck out the, w- the words witchcraft when uh, they're not happy with the wife or the ex-wife. He never admitted to being possessed by the devil, just to using the devil's teachings to inflict harm, but also heal others. You know, light and dark. He wanted a bit of the cake and eat it too, you know? <laughs> Exactly. Now let's tread the path of speculation. For history, shadows often conceal unspeakable acts of suffering. While no documented records unveil the methods, let's envisage the likely horrors that Alexander endured during those murky interrogations. It's likely he was stripped bare, shorn from head to toe, a vulnerable canvas for tormentors seeking a witch's mark. A search through the depths of darkness, a quest to unveil signs of the supernatural. Sleep deprivation a cruel companion of those relentless nights. Hallucinations merge reality with nightmares. A descent into the realm where truth and interrogator 
and <laughs> <laughs> and terror intertwine. I, I mean, I like Contergar more. While we traverse the realm of conjecture, remember, Alexander's confession bore the hues of the bizarre, a bizarre concoction created under extreme duress when reality blurred into the grotesque. Now let's connect these methods to historical practices in Britain. During the Troubles in Northern Ireland, these techniques were shockingly applied to detainees, revealing a dark chapter in the pursuit of information and control. Drawing parallels with historical witch trials, the prolonged wall standing mirrors, the physical endurance tests accused witches were subjected to. Whether standing for hours or enduring physical attacks and ordeals, the aim was to break them. Hooding, in the context of the Scottish witch trials, finds resonance in the infamous Scold's Bridal, a metal mask or cage fitted over the head, often with a protruding bit. It was designed to humiliate and silence the accused individuals. That's horrific. I'm sure a couple of people have wanted to use that on me, so... Definitely same. But could you imagine just the pain as well, because of the spike and the salivation that it would cause in the mouth, yeah. that would be absolute agony between the moisture and the protrusion on your in your mouth. Hard pass. Yeah, hard pass. Subjection to noise, a method designed to disorient, echoes the public shaming and verbal abuse heaped upon those accused witches. The cacophony of accusations and insults were meant to wear them down psychologically. Deprivation of sleep was also a tactic aimed at breaking will. It draws a haunting parallel to the relentless interrogations and psychological torment inflicted on the accused witches. Finally, the deprivation of food and drink finds its counterpart in malnourishment and the neglect suffered by those accused of witchcraft. Denied substance faced by physical and mental deterioration. I mean, it's not surprising. Think about how, you know, elemental nutrition is to our well-being and functioning oh, yeah. through life. Like, even if you don't eat for a day, you feel awful, you have a sore head. So having yet. that on week, well, we're going to go and bl- get you a bloody sandwich in a minute. But um, the long-term impact of malnutrition is really, really serious, long-term and short-term for um, the health of the individual. It's a sobering realisation to see how the echoes of the past reverberate through the methods of the present. Cruelty changes, but the intent of those in powers has spanned centuries. Now, this is a realm where history and fiction intertwine. The reflections of Alexander's Odyssey and the mystical parallels within the charmed universe. I'm not going to go into a specific episode today, rather than what constitutes a good or bad witch in the charmed universe. It's all about your intention, much like I guess it is in... Real magic, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, It's very much intention-based with magic. Why you use it is because of a certain intention. You're trying to bring something into your life. Exactly. I spend probably as much time on the wiki fandoms as you do with your (laughs) witchcraft. Um, A lot of what they say on that is that becoming a witch is, and I quote, a human being born with a piece of the all, which enables them to manifest magical powers. Like mortals, witches can be either good or evil, but only good witches can serve as protectors of the innocent. The all is how the elders refer to the spiritual entity that all witches are born with in their very being. The all was found by a mortal couple who learned how to harness its power and were then made immortal. As a result, the world started to die. Oh no, Mother Earth. Let it burn. Anyway, the only way to save it was to return the all that they'd accessed through the Nexus. Before they were forced to give up the power, however, they did conceive twins. Oh, happy little family. These were born back in the mortal realm, but as they were created in the immortal state with their parents, they had a piece of the all within them. The woman was known as Nina, Isabel or Victoria, 
depending on who you are. I think we should stick with Isabel yep. just to match Miss Gowdy's story. <laughs> Definitely. She went on to be the start of all witch lines and her brother, who turned evil, created every line of warlocks. Interesting. I know. Isabel was also said to have helped a local woman with her unwanted birth. She instructed her to go to a woman called Eva to help her with her birth. She predicted that this child would have to be born for the sake of the world. To save the world! Exactly. This child was Melinda Warren, the powerful witch who had the power of premonition and the start of the Warren line. This lineage is the Hallowells family and the Charmed Ones. Melinda had to be born to create this line and therefore create the Charmed Ones. The three women destined to save humanity. Nina eventually went dark side after everything that life threw at her and eventually used her powers for personal gain and evil. I mean, can you really blame her? Like, life is pretty horrendous often, so it's very yeah. tempting to we've go to the cut, darker side. Yeah, we've cut like a lot of her story out, obviously, because yeah. we would be here forever, yeah. but she's got some happens. heck of a story. She's read the Charms comics for that. Oh, okay. After everything that life throws at her, she obviously goes dark side. Mm-hmm. The Charms runs then eventually defeat her. Nina's story reminded me of Alexander's. He, of course, didn't come from an almighty power, but used his powers for both good and evil, just like Nina. Yeah, and a bit of uh, both sides of the coin there, really, isn't it? Yeah. So it's really interesting to look at Alexander's story in comparison to Charmed, because he did use his magic for good, but he also used it for evil. Goodness in terms of healing Tom and helping Tom recover from his mystery illness from the cursing. But also the Maleficent side in terms of summoning the devil and committing acts of murder any time that he didn't get what he wanted. It just shows how fine a line there is between light and dark and how easy it is to intertwine them both. And then he was burned for it, so... Yeah, well... He got his co-opens, I guess they would say. Yeah, no, he he definitely felt the heat after that (laughs) um, interrogation. No pun intended. But... It's interesting to look at the male narrative of the accusations because so often we just hear about the female witches that were burned and, well, tried and burned at the stake. It's really, really interesting to see the background of the male stories and the male accusations to see that it wasn't just they spoke out or they were a little bit herbal or a little bit skeely. But in these cases, it was nine times out of ten to do with like public position or like political background. So it's how just, much money did you have? Exactly, or someone's trying to make you look bad just so they can take your position of power. So Alexander's story is a nice one to uh, look at, especially for us because we had no idea how many men were accused until we started this journey together. So yeah, and these days they'd have just accused you of cheating rather than of witchcraft. That's very true. So, but I've enjoyed this adventure of Alexander Hamilton with you, Rebecca. Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) Now, did this episode leave you intrigued? Curious for more? Well, you're in for a treat. Join us in the next enchanting episode as we journey from Salem to Scotland, continuing our exploration of mysteries and magic that transcend the pages of history. And yes, the adventure continues, and we're your guides through the shadows your partners in crime, and your companions in curiosity. So until then, stay bewitched and stay tuned. There's more magic awaiting your ears in the episodes to come. You go to source for bewitching conversations, arcane adventures, and of course, a little dash of good-natured chaos. ha <laughs> ha!